closet are those who are controlling the feeds that you're seeing. So again, thank you, uh, and thank you for the ministry that it provides to the greater church um, around and about out there. Uh, this morning, we're going to pick up a little bit from where we left off last week. Um, we talked about the, the three verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. And uh, the verses go like this, For by grace have you, been, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Paul's really careful to make sure we understand here. You are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. First time he says it. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. So can you just repeat that with me? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. So Paul says it's not of works. You're not the ones doing this. It's not of works. Um, lest anyone should boast. So his second comment on this is that it's, it's not something we could let you even engage in. Because if you started doing anything to get yourself saved, you would all stand up and break your arm patting yourselves on the back. So he said, it's not of works, lest you think you have done it, lest it become some boastful element of your life. So you're saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves, it's about Jesus, not of works, lest anyone should think that they have a reason to boast, because the moment I start boasting about what I do, I lessen what Jesus has done. And if you get that clear in your mind, it helps with this. The moment I start thinking it's about me and start considering that it's, a, it's my addition to what Jesus has done, I begin to lessen what Jesus sacrificed and what Jesus actually did. So he then continues on in verse 10, and that's where I want to want to emphasize most of the, of the time today. Verse 10 says, once that's clear, for we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship created... In Christ Jesus, and I might want to use the word recreated, now that you understand this, now that grace is part of your life, now that you're connected to Christ, now that he's not only your Savior, but the Lord of your life, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Created in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Does the word created sound like a happenstance to you? No. No. The fact the word created seems like somebody put some effort and some energy into doing something, right? If someone created a pie for you, then they have done something creative, worked at something, put some energy into something on your behalf, right? If somebody created a drawing for you, sometimes I get drawings from kids at church. It's awesome. I get these drawings of what went on. Often they are pictures of me. It's kind of the same guy, round head, no hair. That guy usually shows up on the picture. Um, I don't know where he comes from, but that's the guy. And uh, that I get those creative applications, somebody putting some energy forth, putting some effort forth to make that happen. You were created in Christ Jesus for the things, for the works that God had prepared for you to do. So I'm, I'm going to spend the time today talking about that process. So I want to just cover a few things. Sorry, I wasn't clicking through my uh, my notes, the text, but I want to continue on. I want you to see the picture down in the corner. The picture down in the corner is of a puzzle. Why would it be a puzzle? Because you're, you and I are all pieces of a puzzle. Grace Point Church is a 580-piece puzzle. And you're a part of that piece, that puzzle. What happens when pieces of your puzzle are missing? It just makes it a very frustrating thing to do. Do not buy puzzles secondhand. I just, I, I just want to tell you that up front. If you've ever gone, you know, wandering through a yard sale, found a puzzle and went, this one's really cool, and got it home, 
the whole time you have anxiety about it, unless you are a little more accountant than I am and you count the puzzle pieces before you start, which maybe would be a good idea. Then if you're more like me, maybe you get one of your friends who's more exacting to count it for you so that if it's 2,100 pieces, they actually make sure it's that 2,100 pieces. If that puzzle has some, just even one piece missing, the satisfaction of doing a puzzle is very frustrating. If the puzzle that is the church has even one piece missing, it is incomplete. It is incomplete. If we are the parts and we are the pieces, then our part is significant to the complete picture that Grace Point provides. That make sense? Good. <laughs> so, I want to start out with, a, with a, a few ideas about ministry. One, you were saved for ministry. You were saved for ministry. Second Timothy, we just went through it in this particular passage in Ephesians. Here's Second Timothy 1 verse 9. God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Again, the, the apostle keeps trying to make sure we know this. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. God saved us for a purpose, a calling that fits our purpose, that fits who we are. So look at your neighbor. Do a comparative glance. Do they look like you? So unless you're sitting next to your exact twin, the person next to you probably is a different part of the puzzle than you are. So you being created as a part of that puzzle, as, as God created you for your specific purpose, are fitting a specific place. Each puzzle piece has its own shape and its own part of the picture to fill in, right? We are called by God after we have been saved to, do, to go into ministry. As each one of us has received a gift, of, gift, a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So each of us has received a gift. So now look at the person next to you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Look the other direction if you're nervous about looking back at the same person. Look at them and recognize they are gifted. Look at the person next Go ahead. Some of you are like staring straight at me, refusing to do this. Look at the person next to you and realize the, that person is gifted. Gifted by God for ministry. God has designed purposely that person, created with his own authority and power, the person next to you, gifting them for ministry. Gifting them for ministry. So everyone in this building is, by, is sitting next to a person who is gifted. You have all now been enrolled in the gifted program. Doesn't that feel better than the program you actually graduated from? Unless, of course, you graduated from the gifted program. Then you just know already that that's where you belong. But all of us have been gifted for ministry. And in that gifting, there's an equipping that goes along with it. Look at the scripture here in Ephesians chapter 4 again. He himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints... For the work of ministry. It's a point, the, the picture here is God is giving out these things of, in, 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 the, in the attempt to equip the saints. Now I want you to catch the pastor's and teacher's role here. Here's our big mistake in the first world. In the third world, there are not enough pastors to go around. I, I've spoken to pastors who've had 50 churches. Yeah, imagine. You have 50 churches. You're lucky if you get there once a year. So who does the ministry in those churches? 
All the members do. All the members do. Here's the interesting thing about it. Most of those churches grow faster than the churches who have pastors. Isn't that crazy? Those churches, that, that ministry gets done, and the pastor comes around and does training, does uh, weddings, does those few things that they can do once or twice a year. And the rest of the time, they try to just equip leadership in that church to keep training and keep growing and keep developing. Pastor's roles, pastor's calling is actually not to do ministry. Pastor's calling is to do equipping. Do you catch that? Pastor's roles in the church is actually not to do ministry. We call pastors ministers, right? It's really their job to do equipping. Pastors, evangelists, apostles, teachers, equipping the saints. Equipping the saints for ministry. Now, does God equip you? Certainly he does. God gives you the equipment you need to do what you need to do. But there are further equipping to be done. And in that further equipping, that's the role of these uh, particular leaders that are called. So I want to talk about your shape. In our church, we've used this terminology for a long, 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 long time. But we, I realized when I was actually talking with the, the, the kids teaching the sanctuary group, for, I'm pointing at the Cernus because they were present. I was teaching the Pathfinder kids some, uh, a sanctuary uh, message and I don't know if this Adrian or Sandra said, why haven't you done this at church? And I realized I do it regularly, but I hadn't done it in a while. And I hadn't gone back over some of these anchor things, these foundational ideas about this church. And so I want to go back to this one. We believe in this church that you are shaped, designed, equipped, specifically gifted by God for a role in the, in the kingdom ministry. Now, don't, look at the, don't think about everybody else around you. I said you are shaped, equipped, designed, created by God for a specific role in the kingdom's ministry. You are. Now, that is rather, whether you are a kid or an adult, whether you are a young adult or a grandparent, whether you're at the beginning of your life or you're saying, hey, I'm more close to the end than I am to the beginning. It doesn't say you're equipped until you want to not be equipped anymore. You're, you're, you have a role until you not, you don't want to have a role anymore. It actually says this is your, this is who you are. It's an expression of who you are in Christ. So that word, that, that idea, shape, is an acronym as you can tell because of the dots. That's your, that's your clue. You see a word with dots in it. And this, is this a revelation to some, someone's apparently not seen that before. Came to church to learn that today. Spiritual gifts, obvious one, S. Your heart, H. What are you passionate about? A, your abilities. Some of you have skills and abilities. We mentioned this a little bit last year, last week. It's abilities that you've been good at your whole life. You don't know why you have this ability. It's just been your ability. Your personality. Have you ever thought of your personality as a part of the design of God? Your personality and your experience. Scripture says God doesn't waste our experiences. In fact, if you take the life of Moses for an example, God actually inserted some experiences in his life to help develop the man he wanted him to be. And I think that's true for many of us who surrender ourselves to God in the early parts of our life that he helps guide the experiences to develop and hone the edge of the person he's called us to be. So spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experience spells miraculously the word shape which is what we're talking about, how you were designed by God to fit the place in the puzzle where only you fit. Okay. I'm going to go back over them quickly. Spiritual gifts. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, Paul, in actually talking about something else, jumps into this idea of giftedness. For I wish that all men were even as I myself am. Okay? Now, in this case, for context purposes, Paul is actually wishing all of us could be celibate. That's what he wishes for you. He wishes everybody was like him. Totally disinterested. Celibate. Okay? And he says, I wish everybody was like myself, but each one has his own gift from God. That's the piece I want you to catch. He's not talking about celibacy or non-celibacy. He, he's not talking about your, your interest or your disinterest in, in uh, the opposite gender. He's actually saying this gift is broadly, not just in this narrow range. He says, I wish you all had the gift that I have, which is this gift of kind of disinterest at this point in my life. He apparently was married. He apparently no longer has a wife. She probably passed away. And at this point in his life, he said, okay, I'm done with women. I wish you all had that gift, but clearly not everybody does. So he says, each one has his own gift. Note where it's from. From God. Not from a catalog, not from Amazon, from God. Each has his own gift, one in this manner and another in that. So should you expect the person next to you to have the same gift you did? No. Now, if you are next to your spouse, this is a very important piece of information for you. Do not expect the person next to you to have the same skills, talents, gifts, abilities, etc. that you have. In fact, it is almost always in the plan of God to hook you up with somebody who is going to rub up against you, create a little friction, and sharpen the blade. Now notice I have two hands rubbing. Okay, men, it is not your job to sharpen her blade or her job to sharpen yours only. It is your job to sharpen each other. Okay, so let's just put that, get that straight in our mind. No one of us has the same gift set. Each one given their own things from God. So now you have been given a spiritual and maybe multiple spiritual gifts. How many of you have ever taken the time to think about those and figure them out? A handful, a handful. I want to, I'm, I'm, when I finish, I'll, I'll promote this several times, but I want you to consider taking our 301 course at some time very soon. It is going through these very things, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, passion, experience. As we go through it, we try to identify those. And we keep it simple. We don't do a spiritual gift test with 500 possibilities. We kind of sim- simplify things down to the, most simple, clear, biblical expressions of these things. I would really encourage you to take it. If you've taken it and we didn't follow through with you enough to find a place in ministry that worked for you, take it again and give us another shot at that. It's really significant because when you're in the right place, you feel right in that place and you're blessed by being in that place. I've mentioned it before. The gift of gab has gotten me in trouble my whole life until I became a pastor and they started paying me for it. And it, it is one of those places where I know I fit. And it's one of those experiences when I do it, I know it's the right fit. And I, have, I, I, I express who I am in Christ and I feel a great deal of joy in that experience. And when we're in that space... The kingdom is blessed, and we are also blessed. Now, I want to say something before I move on. Sometimes you have to use a rock for a hammer. Okay? Sometimes you're the rock. Sometimes you're the nail. Pray to be the rock. 
The point is we are sometimes called to do something in the moment that we're not perfectly fit for. Now, I'm not arguing that you'll never end up having to do something you don't fit perfectly in. Yeah, you, you can use a rock for a hammer, but it's not a long-term solution. If you're involved in a ministry that doesn't fit, it might be a short season in your life, but don't expect it to be long. And if it's raging on too long, it will create angst and maybe even anger and frustration in you. Here's the deal. Quit. My favorite illustration is pretty simple. If you are doing children's ministry in our church and you do not like children, (laughs) for the sake of the children, quit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, that's, a, that's an illustration everybody gets, but I want you to get that in terms of the other things you're doing. Where you're doing kingdom work should be a blessing to you and the kingdom. You and the kingdom. The kingdom and you. Okay? You should fit in that place. Moving along. I told you I'd go fast. I haven't been. Your heart. This is one that most people forget. They don't realize. The, the person that you are, the thing that you're passionate about, Where your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. So here's what I want you to think about treasures. What are the things that you treasure in your heart? Now, I'm not, we always use this for financial and that's true, but but what are the things you treasure in your heart? What are the ideas you treasure? What are the people groups you treasure? Now, some of you just treasure older people. And it just ministers to you to be engaged with older people. And then you become an older person. I... I know older people who minister to older people, and they, they, it's very interesting because they will say, I help take care of the old people. And I, and I think about that, and, and I want to say, well, you're kind of in the same group. But their whole life, it's been a calling for them. It doesn't change because they've now grown into that group. They are still bound, bound, <laughs> bonded to that group. Some of you are passionate about children. Some of you are passionate about underserved groups in the world. People who are hungry. People who don't have education. People who don't have safety or security. Those are the people that connect you. I think you saw in Lee and Collie this morning a couple who are passionate about an age group. About a group of people in a certain age. They've discovered a ministry that blesses the, the, the students and blesses them. You get the picture that that passion, where your treasure, where your heart really is drawn to is part of this picture with God. What are you passionate about? God wants you to be engaged where you're passionate. He wants the expression of who you are to step into what you do. When you're working with the, in the kingdom, it's not pounding nails with rocks. It's finding the place where you actually fit. It's finding that place where you are blessed and you are a blessing. What are you passionate about? What are your natural abilities? Have you ever thought about playing the drums? Have you ever sat behind a drum kit and tried to move your hands independently of your feet? Yeah, it doesn't do anything, though. It's dancing to me. For you, it's actually creating something. Have you considered that as an ability? Some people have the ability to move hands and feet differently. I've t- Pastor Tim, sorry Tim, for what I'm about to do. <laughs> Pastor Tim has played percussion for 
30 years-ish, okay? Pastor Tim does not play one of those. Pastor Tim's hands and feet don't do the different thing. He doesn't have that ability to move his hands to a different beat of his feet or whatever. I, I don't even know how to describe it. I just see it and I'm amazed. We have people in our church, one of them right there, who draw the most beautiful pictures. They, I mean, beautiful pictures. I look at those pictures and I'm amazed. The abilities that you have. Some of you have known since you were a little kid. You have certain abilities. You have certain skills. Boom. They're just there. You've always been able to do it. Those abilities are part of the gifting God has given you. And they are a call for kingdom service just as surely as a spiritual gift is. Spiritual gift, heart or passion, ability, personality. Here's the simple one. If you are a devout introvert, should we ask you to preach? Only if God says it's time to pound the hammer or pound a nail with a rock. Sometimes God might call you to do it, right? Should it be the outgrowth of your whole life? Very rarely does God call somebody who's an introvert to an extrovert's job. Very rarely does God call an extrovert to an introvert's job. We mess up the job. God calls us by our personality. We are shaped, created, designed, equipped by the master builder. And in that equipping, there is an intention to bless you and bless the kingdom. If you have found a way that is blessing you, that isn't blessing the kingdom, you're not experiencing all that it could be. So I say with the army, be all that you can be. Personality, experiences. Bill Gothard might be the best ex explanation of this. I heard this when I was uh, 15, and I still remember it. Bill Gothard talked about all of us starting out as a rough-cut diamond. Think about your life as a rough-cut diamond. Good-sized, fist-sized diamond. And experiences create facets on that diamond. Life's experiences, other things as well, grind edges off of that diamond and begin to facet it and shape it. Those experiences, some positive and some negative, create different ways of reflecting light. And as those experiences work through in your life, that reflection of God that is you becomes more and more and more perfect. Because God has been shaping you all this time. In the experiences, don't neglect the bad ones. We have a tendency to think only good experiences can possibly be used by God. It's not what the Bible says. It says God, think, God can work all things together, good ones and bad ones, for good. So he can take the negative experiences of your life. Maybe you had really crummy parents. Maybe you had the worst parents. I mean, they write books about your parents. When they talk about bad parents, your picture, their pictures are in the dictionary. Maybe that was your parent. God will not waste that. If you allow him, first by forgiving them, because you'll never get over it, you'll never be able to use the tool 
if you're throwing it out all the time. First by forgiving them, but then by recognizing that that tool, that experience is an opportunity to touch the lives of other people who walk in the path you walked. Before you dismiss this idea, think of how awesome it would have been for you had somebody stood alongside you when that was happening. Now, I don't want to just talk about negative experiences because you've had great experiences too, life experiences of all sorts of things and lots of different ranges. The piling up of those experiences begins to build an identity in you that represents a way to touch other people. Lest I put you to sleep, let me finish with this story. In 1 John chapter 4, 7 to 12 is probably a better read. The passage says this. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. I want you to just hold on to that idea for a second. God's love is brought to full expression in you, in me. So this guy, um, his name, his, his pseudonym, I like his pseudonym. His pseudonym is Juan Man. Well, somebody got it immediately. Some of you will get it later this afternoon. His pseudonym is Juan Man. Juan was living in England. He was from Australia. He was living in England. Life was going sideways for him. He was really going just in a really bad direction. He was at a party. He was depressed. He could see his life sort of falling apart. And this odd, random stranger at this party walked up, hugged him, and moved on. It was like the weirdest thing. It was like somebody he didn't know walks up at a party, hugs him, and just walks away. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't greet him. Doesn't know anything about him. He doesn't know anything about the other person. That was it. That was the whole thing. But he said, it just warmed my soul. It touched me in such a profound way. It was, it was just such a meaningful moment. And he never forgot about it. Short time later, as his life continued to come unraveled, he decided to go back to Australia. By the time he got to Australia, he said, I had a back wi- backpack with a few belongings in it, a few dollars in my pocket, and I had never felt more alone in my life. So he gets there to the airport, and, and he gets off the plane, and what happens when you get out, you know, get off the plane and you start moving out into the concourses where more and more people are finding each other? All these people are greeting each other and they're so happy to see each other and they're hugging each other. And he said, the loneliness inside of me just began to grow and I felt so completely alone. He said, here I was at home and I just felt horrible. So he went home, still feeling bad, still wondering what to do, still thinking about that image in the airport, still thinking about that person at the party. He decided to do something about the way he was feeling and how he was projecting other people must be feeling as well. So he got a sign. He wrote free hugs on the sign, and he went to the mall. 
and he held up the sign. And he said for about the first 15 minutes, people just walked by him like he was some kind of a nut. Tell me about it. You've seen these people, right? I would really love to know how many of you took advantage of the opportunity. I'm betting the numbers are pretty low. So he said, I stood there for about 15 minutes, and finally an elderly lady, kind of a little elderly lady, came up to him. And she said, "Um, my dog died today. And she said, this is the anniversary of a year ago when my child died. He said, I knelt down. He's kind of a tall guy. He said, I knelt down and I put my arms around her. And he said, we stayed there for a little bit. Young, lonely, heartbroken man. Elderly lady. Just breaking up. And we held each other for a minute. He said, and then the hug was over. She smiled at me, big, beautiful smile, and went on. That moment in the mall began this whole movement. These people are all over the place. That's uh, Free Hugs UK, I think, right there. You can go on the internet. You can see the Free Hug YouTube videos. But here's the interesting thing about it. We are designed for the connection of another human being. And if I read this text correctly, when we find that place, that space to minister to the people around us, there is an expression of who God is in us. People all over the world believe in God but they really, they complain often about not, not, not actually ever having seen him or seen him expressed in people who also claim to believe him, believe in him. Here's a simple, so simple I would have never thought of it myself, way of expressing that. But if this could be ministry, do you think you could find a place for your piece of the puzzle. I don't know what your skills are. What your calling, your spiritual gifts, your abilities are. I don't know what you're passionate about. You may not even know yet. But if it is so important that each of us, when we express love for one another, when we find a place to minister that fits who we are, Reveal a glimpse of who God is in ourselves. Might it, in fact, be what the world is waiting for from the church? Not another evangelistic flyer in their mailbox, but an evangelist in their face who's not there for anything. They're just in there to minister to them, to care about them. The last thing I want to share with you is this. It's a simple line from an old book. Book written at the turn of the last century. Book's called The Desire of Ages. If you haven't read it, you should read it. 
On page 827, top of the page, first paragraph, it simply says this. Christ is sitting for his portrait in you. Christ is sitting for his portrait in every disciple. Your spiritual gifts from God as a revelation of Jesus. Your passions, the things that are your heart that define who you are. An expression of that portrait. Your abilities, things that you've taken for granted your whole life. An expression of who God is in you. Your personality. That weirdness that you wish you didn't have. An expression of who God is. And the pile of experiences that you've gathered over the last 5, 15, 50 years. An expression of what it is that God is building uniquely in you. You have a purpose. We talk about finding a role in church. I love it when those align, but it may take some thinking to figure out yours. It may be within these walls. It may be at your work. It may be somewhere else. But you have a kingdom purpose on the planet for which you were designed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's an easy thing for us to to pass on things like this. To conclude that this is true of other people but not of us. 